go to First Samuel chapter three, and we're going to pray. Remember what we're doing here. It's not necessarily a Bible study, but this is a, a meditational uh, reading. And so what we're, what we're essentially doing is we, we want to have a conversation with God. We want to converse with God right through the scriptures that he has provided to us. He's given us his word. He's given us access to him through his word. So um, I want to encourage you right now to pray these three prayers is God. What are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? These are three questions that I'd like for you to ask as you engage in the scriptures, because we want to hear from God. Yes, the scriptures were written in antiquity, but they're very much relevant to us today. And so that's what we want to do. We want to engage in the scriptures to ask God those three questions. Um, and so we're in First Samuel. For those of you who don't know, we've been journeying through the entire Bible. We've been spending 20, 30 minutes reading every day, every weekday from 8 a.m. to how, whatever time is afforded to us. Now, today we're here a little early just because uh, we have a change of schedules, of, of schedules. Yeah, schedules, actually, uh, because it's a few of us that have to change our schedules today. So um, and as a result of that, I'm here uh, an hour early. So let's get to it. First um, Samuel chapter three. And we're going to read verse one. Father, I just ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, speak to us through your word. Father, we pray right now as we engage in your word, Lord, that you would engage with us. Lord, we ask, Lord, that we simply not um, ruminate over this text through our intellectual facilities, but, Lord, that you would provide us, Lord, the capacity, Lord, to hear your heart, to see you through your scriptures. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. First Samuel chapter 3, we'll spend about... 20 minutes reading. And then afterwards, we're going to spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting. That's why we call it the read and rant. Let's go. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out into the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark was. And while Samuel was lying there that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed in him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Samuel perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. 
In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord has spoken to you? Please do not hide it from me. God, do so to you and more also. If you, if, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he has said to you, then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what he what seems good to him. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been an esta as established as prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared to Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel, chapter four. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped in Ephek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 40,000 men of the army of the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people went to Shiloh, that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of God or of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the shout, the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? When they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us who delivered us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been given to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter and there fell on Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. Then the man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day 
and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now, when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled before the ark of God. And when the men came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man quickly came and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your sons Hophni and Phinehas are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward of the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and had judged Israel forty years." Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And, he, and, and she said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. For the ark of God has been captured. There's a lot to unpack here um, in these two chapters, and I'm not afforded a significant amount of time today to engage in what we see here. But I did feel it, it, it would be important, at least, for us to spend a few moments this morning in reflection, even with all the busyness and everything that's going on today. It was important that we still engage. So I really appreciate all of you who've come um, an hour early to attend and to be a part of this uh, of this, of this of this time that we've come to spend together. Um, I just have a few thoughts that I want to share and impart upon you today, um, just in my time and this time that we're spending in reflection. Remember what I had asked before, and I always ask that we do this when we spend time in the reading of the word. I ask that we, we, we read the word with a posture of receiving, a receptivity. And we could do that by, sim- we can cultivate that re- receptivity by simply asking three questions. What is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? To speak to our hearts today about his plan, to speak to our hearts today about his will, to speak to our hearts today as we're being washed by the word. I read this, and for those of you who have been here, know that we've been reading since, you know, from Genesis all the way now to first Samuel. And I hope what you're seeing is a narrative. You're seeing a thread. You're seeing a story. You know, people say that about the Bible is a story. Um, sometimes that almost sounds, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, it, it sounds a little bit obtuse. It sounds unclear when people say, well, the Bible is um, a story. 
Uh, but as you're reading it now, I hope you're beginning to see that. I hope you're, you're observing that the Bible is indeed a story. Um, I hope you're starting to see the narrative of the, the narrative, the thread, the, the redemptive story. Um, we say that the scriptures uh, represent the uh, the redemptive historical narrative. That that's probably the best way to describe it. The redemptive historical narrative. Um, that is, it is the story of how God is redeeming the earth and how God is redeeming humanity. Because if God redeems humanity, then He's also redeeming the earth. Um, and so as we're reading through it, we're beginning to see this redemptive thread that this, that the mankind, the human beings who, who were made in his image, that he made images of him that we see in Genesis goes all the way through. And we begin to see the narrative, right? That, 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 that authority, that justice, the rule that these people, that human beings were given as imagers of God, as images of God, that, that this, this, this imaging of God was in some way broken. It was broken at the Garden of Eden when, when Adam had sinned against God. Now, God, we see a break in God's rule on the earth. We see a break, a disconnect between what mankind wants and what God wants because man, the scripture tells that man does what is right in his own eyes, but in the end it leads to destruction because God created the earth in a certain way with a certain law, with a certain system. And when you choose a system other than the divine system, when you choose a system other than, than the divine system of God, then it leads to brokenness. I want to just pause real quick with that. I know we're we're just spending a few minutes today on 1 Samuel 3 and 4, but I want to take a pause on that because sometimes we think that 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 sin is simply bad things. We got to get out of that way of thinking. We have to get out of the way of thinking of sin from simply a legal stance, right? Sin is when you break God's law and you know, and what God wants you to do is obey his law. And so we have this sort of obey or disobey God's law system, okay, um, of thinking. And yet that's not what we're seeing in the biblical thread. That's not what we're seeing in the historical thread. It's not a legal system. It's more of a supernatural spiritual system. And the supernatural spiritual system Burst out what we see on the earth. The earth is simply a product of what God has done in the spirit. Remember, the earth was, was without form and void. So therefore, whatever exists in the physical had to first have been conceived in the spiritual. Whatever, what, what, whatever we see in the physical had to first come from the spiritual. Whatever is in the material had to come out of the immaterial, right? You know, we see things today like this chair. This chair came from an immaterial place. Someone had to imagine the chair and then imagine the chair, the chair was built, right? Um, this table come, is a material thing, right? But before this table could exist in the material, it had to exist in the immaterial, meaning someone had to imagine the table before and then afterwards to build the table. I don't know if that's making sense, guys. That it had to be imagined first before it was made. Um, it has to exist 
Facebook had to exist in the immaterial first before it came into existence in the material. Does anybody understand that? So therefore, when we talk about the earth and what is manifesting on the earth, right? We're talking about what's manifesting on the earth. You have to understand that what's manifesting on the earth is a product of what is happening in the realm of the spirit, okay? What is manifesting on the earth was first a product of that. So there's a spiritual law and the spiritual law now dictates the physical law. And so if there's a spiritual law, if that law is broken, there are consequences to the law, not because God is angry, pay very close attention. Yes, God can be angry, but God can do it with a smile. Just because there is, um, when you break a physical law or when you attempt, sorry, to break a physical law, it comes with consequences, right? If you attempt to break the law of gravity, it will come with consequences, right? If you attempt to break the law of magnetism, it will come with consequences. And so when you understand that, right, that there's a spiritual law, then it's not about the rules. It's about something much more profound, okay? And so what we're seeing in the narrative is that Adam, right, broke a spiritual law. He went, he broke rank with God. And in breaking rank with God, humanity breaks rank with God. And when humanity now breaks rank with God, all things in the world now become broken because the world needs or exists to operate within the righteousness and the justice of God. The reason why there's so much pain, so much suffering, so much strife, because of all these things, it leads to pain and suffering. So sin is not doing bad things. Sin is simply a deviation of the will, the justice, and the righteousness of God. You can do good things and sin doing them. Okay, you you can you <laughs> you can feed the poor and sin while doing it. And I'm not saying you're sinning, meaning doing something, breaking God's law while you're feeding the poor is the feeding of the poor can be in and of itself sin. Um, um, the, the 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 getting married to a particular person can be in and of itself sin. Is marriage a good thing? It's absolutely a good thing, but it can be sin. Um, I, I emphasize that because when we deviate from the will and the justice of God, that is sin. And the result of sin is death for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So now when you begin to understand that, then you're going to understand now that, that sin is not just breaking God's law. It's breaking rank from God. That's what sin is. That's why the scriptures say that, um, that's why David says, in sin, my mother conceived me. I was conceived in sin. And sometimes people don't understand what that even means to say that I was conceived in sin because people go, how can you say that a baby um, sinned? Because we're still thinking of sin as simply an action, not simply a status. 
Does anybody understand that? Sin is a status. <laughs> oh man, I don't have enough time for that. Um, sin is a status. Okay. Uh, uh, let me help you out. Um, the scriptures tell us that Jesus became sin. He who did not sin became sin. So sin is not breaking rules in the Bible. Okay. Sin is a status. All right. Sin is a status. And we understand that sin is a status. Now we get out of the shaming people, you know, way of thinking. We get out of the prostrating and oppressing people with the scripture and oppressing people with the Bible, because that's what happens when we make sin simply actions and how you're supposed to live based off of the rules that are in the Bible, then it becomes oppressive. Okay. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. I need to get to my point. This, the Bible is not a story or a book of rules. As a matter of fact, the book, the rules that we've read so far up to this point, you can go back to the previous episodes of the podcast, but the rules that we've read about up to this point, those rules were not even intended for Christians. Those rules were for the children of Israel to shape them into becoming the nation of priests that God was calling them to be in order to reestablish the justice that was lost by Adam at the garden. The breaking of rank now was being brought. So, so, so the people are being brought back into rank with God. You have to understand this. This is not, the Bible is not a book of rules. It's not a book of rules. The Bible is a story of how God is redeeming humanity. The world is broken, family. There is pestilence, disease. The world is broken. There is hate, anger. The world is broken. There is war, injustice, racism. The world is broken. All these things that you see is, is, is evidence of mankind breaking rank from God. <laughs> Laughing brother in Christ is about mankind breaking rank from God. So God restoring people, I know I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but it's something I'm just reflecting on, but it, it, God restoring people is both corporate and it's both individual. We have this sort of mentality that when God restores us, it's an individual thing. When God's restoration is a corporate thing, he's restoring all of humanity and he's doing it through a people. Okay. And so this is the story. This is what the Bible is about. It's the story of how God is redeeming humanity and he's doing it through the thread of a people, the background of the historical narrative of God, the background of the divine narrative, the background of the redemptive historical narrative of God is through the children of Israel. And now we begin to see that even though they were called to be set apart, they failed over and over and over again. God gives them a means to get back to his presence. And now they get into this land. And when they get into this land, rather than being the holy people that they were called to be, they were people who became like the Canaanite nations. And we saw in Judges just the absolute moral and sociological decline of these people. These people were morally at the bottom of the bottom. And then in Ruth, we talked about how the Lord was, that, that the Bible was showing us how 
the thread of the history of what God is doing has not been broken, that God is bringing restoration. It was a reminder of that. And now we get to Samuel. And in Samuel, there is a king to come. But before, remember we talked about this yesterday, but before the king comes, there must be a prophet. Before the king comes, the prophet comes. And in this case, it's the prophet Samuel. And that's what brings us here to the book of Samuel. Notice it's still a story. It's a story of how God is redeeming humanity and all things. It's a story. And in this story, there are lessons that we can learn along the way. I read this today. And there are two things that pop out to me. And then I'll close out. Also, I know that this is cut off a few times. And if it has cut off a few times, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to go through. If it comes back in, it comes back in. And and so if you missed anything along the way, the reading, um, not only will it be in the podcast later on, but it'll also be on our Facebook group. So it's the font everywhere on Facebook. You can catch it there. I'll maybe post an audio up there for just for you guys for today because of the stuff that we missed. But there's something I want you to catch here. And I think it's important for us to catch it because um, for many of us, especially for people who grew up in church, I just want to back this up for a second. It's going to, it's going to be an uncomfortable statement, but I'm going to back it up for a second. Um, most people who grew up in church didn't grow up on Christianity. Sounds very uncomfortable to say. Uh, most people who grew up in church didn't actually grow up on Christian faith. They grew up on culture and politics and used a book in order to prostrate culture and politics on a people. Um, most of us who've grown up in church, and this is just for the people who grew up in church, we come with a disadvantage. And the disadvantage that we come with is that we've been taught something that isn't necessarily what the scriptures actually say. And we've been taught faith in a way that isn't really faith. And so the unfortunate reality is that there are people, and I know there are people even on here, who grew up in church and have attributed Christian faith to what they grew up on. Or they've attributed Christian faith to whatever experience they had with the church. And so because they've attributed Christian faith, and that, that may be you, because you've attributed Christian faith to what you grew up with in the church, your atheism is not atheism. Your atheism is actually anti-churchism. Maybe I'll do a TikTok on that. Your atheism actually isn't atheism. Your atheism is anti-churchism because you saw the oppressiveness of an institution that was not spiritually moved or spiritually driven or spiritually motivated. You actually saw the oppressiveness of it and you're breaking rank from it because you broke rank from the church and the oppressiveness of the church. You immediately connected that with a breaking rank from a belief in God. Thing is, is you, is that there are people who in your church who actually don't believe in God. Atheism is actually one of the most complex things ever. 
atheism is incredibly complex. It takes incredible faith to be atheistic. It takes incredible faith, which is why most atheists are incredibly passionate um, because it takes incredible faith to be atheistic and to be an atheist. Um, but I, I say that because I have a lot of, I have friends who are atheists. I have friends who, um, who I, I, I have people of all different sorts and types that I have continual conversations with and I love them very much. And, you know, they, we hang, we vibe, we have those questions, but I've learned that, um, most atheists, they're not atheists because of lack of faith. They're late. They're atheists because of their, their, um, antagonism towards faith because their faith was connected to oppressive church or the oppressive church institution. So the oppressive church institution is, you know, if you're against something, right, then that's still a form of faith. It's still institutional. Atheism is also very institutional. Um, they have their own prophets. Atheists have their own prophets. They have their own teachers. Atheists have their own religion. They have the only time that they meet. They have times where they gather together to talk about their atheism. Atheism is a religion. Please do not, do not, discount that atheism is a religion i always tell people that it's just a religion and nothingness it's nihilism okay um but but that, that's all to say um that for those who grew up in church and for those who have not grown up in church people who haven't grown up in a church have an incredible advantage because they don't have the context of the broken things of what they grew up in and the oppressive structures and institutions that they grew up in. You understand? So, so I say that all to say that um, atheism is a religion like the off button is a TV to a channel. I wish that were true. <laughs> I wish that were true. Um, unfortunately, it's not. Because if it was, then atheists wouldn't be jumping all over Christian lives and Prophet being prophets in their Christian in Christian lives, I have to say that um, when atheists say no, I believe in nothing. If you believed in nothing, you wouldn't be so passionate about coming on here to talk about the nothingness that you believe. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, but that's not what I'm here for. Um, but but here here's the thing, right? Um, so when you when again when you when you look at First Samuel chapter three, and I want to leave you with this final thought, okay? I want to leave you with this final thought. Um, in First Samuel chapter four, and it's just something that stuck out to me. First Samuel chapter four and verse four. Again, we're just here to reflect. We're just here to reflect. Um, in First Samuel chapter four, it says, "So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from the ark of covenant the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim." And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. I want to give some background. Okay, I want to give some background here. So, Israel goes out to battle the Philistines. Remember, there's been continual battle with the Philistines. They've been going back and forth. Israel's been fighting with the Philistines. Okay, they're fighting over territory. Because remember, Israel came in um, to to Canaan, and this was a battle for territory. Um, and so there's always these outskirts and these battles um, that Israel had to continue to encounter, engage in. 
Okay. Now, um, in verse four, when you read it, it says, so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from the Ark of Covenant, the Lord of hosts. So in these skirmishes, Israel is losing their ground. They're losing their ground. The Philistines are taking ground. They're losing battles to the Philistines. And in verse two, it says the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel and they joined the battle. Israel defeated, was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men in the army of the field. So these boys went to battle. They, they, <laughs> um, they faced incredible defeat, lost 4,000 men in this battle. And of course, before they knew what the source of their victory was, the source of the victory was the presence of God. The source of the victory was the presence of God. And so now we see that these 4,000, these 4,000 men have been killed. They return and they say, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Again, it tells you how they saw the way God moves is when they faced defeat, it wasn't because they were defeated by the enemy, but because the Lord had permitted the defeat over them. That's two different things. When they understood, when they faced defeat, they understood that the only reason why they faced defeat in that moment is because of the absence of the grace of God. I think it's important for us to understand because sometimes we believe that there are battles that we fight with God that somehow we can lose, but with God, we actually can't lose any battles. That's a side note, another conversation for another day, but that's not why we're here. I want to point this out and I know it's taking me a while to get here, but I, I'm here. I'm, I'm I'm getting here. It says, let us bring uh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So they came to the conclusion that the reason why they lost was because God wasn't present among them. The reason why they lost was because of the lack of the presence of God. Hmm. So they came up with an answer. I said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant with us. Because by bringing the Ark of the Covenant, we'll have the presence of God with us. And if we have the presence of God with us, then for sure we will win the battle. So the conclusion was, is that they lost the battle because God wasn't with them. And so they go and they get the two sons, Eli, Hophni, and the two sons of Eli, who were Hophni and Phinehas. They took Hophni and Phinehas, and Hophni and Phinehas brought the Ark of the Covenant of God with them, operating as priests, but living in sin. So they took the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the very presence of God. And so they come, and here's where it's interesting, is once they saw the Ark, the children of Israel shouted. They shouted with a loud shout. They, they felt a confidence now. There was a confidence they had because the Ark of the Covenant was with them. And the Philistines heard the confidence that they had so much so that they became fearful. They said, oh my goodness, they have the Ark. And we know what happens to them when the presence of God is with them. Here's the thing though. And I want to make sure you guys understand this, is that the way the story ends is not how they expected it. They had expected now that we have the ark, we're going to go back into battle and we're going to beat the Philistines. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. They went back to the battle and they were slaughtered. Not only were they slaughtered, but Hophni and Phinehas were slaughtered. So the question 
that I think anyone who's reading this has to ask is how is it that these men came with confidence that they had the presence of God with them, but that they would go in with the presence of God and still lose the battle? Don't have all day for this. So I'm just going to give just a few thoughts on this. And I want you to to really spend some time reflecting on this. This is important. The presence of God means nothing if you're not in the will of God. It's one thing to have the presence of God, but it's another thing for you to be in covenant with God. It's one thing to seek the presence of God. It's another thing to want to covenant with him. They came into battle with the presence of God, but they didn't get to enjoy the benefits of the presence because the presence wasn't covenanted with. They had the Ark of the Covenant, but the victory never came out of the box. It's a box, y'all. It's a golden box. The victory didn't come with the box. And I think it's it's so important for us to realize how we can become so religious when we simply place God in things, not realizing that God transcends all things. So they thought that if they came with the method of victory, because every time we came with the box, we got victory. They thought if they came with the method, that the method would bring them victory, not realizing that it wasn't the method, but rather the power of God behind the method. I say this because they had the presence, the image and the symbol of the presence of God bringing the Ark of of the Covenant. But just because they had the image of the presence didn't mean that they had the presence. It didn't mean that they were covenanted with him. If you are manipulating the presence of God, if you are in the business of manipulating the presence, and when I say manipulating the presence is, I want the presence of God when I'm going through something. I need the presence of God. I know I've been challenged this over the past uh, two days, but when you when you want to simply manipulate the presence of God, well, God only exists to solve my problems. God exists to make things better for me. God, I come to you when I'm sick or when I have family members that are sick. And if I pray and you don't come and solve my problem when I, with whatever it is that I'm going through and whatever time that I'm going through it, then God, you aren't useful to me. When we make God or the present, when we talk, when I when I talk about manipulating the presence, I'm talking about wanting God simply for what God does, but not for who God is. And for many people, there are those of us who are just like Hophni and Phineas. We are religious. Hophni and Phineas were religious, but they were sinful. We're religious, but we're sinful. We're religious, but we don't really care about having a relationship with God. We only care to have access to him when we have things that we need from him. And so, of course, now that we're facing a battle and we've lost a battle, better go get the ark. 
I got to go run and get the ark and go seek the ark. There are a lot of us actually. And there are some, there's some of you right now who, um, who say that you don't have faith in God. And the reason why you don't have faith in God, I'm sorry if I'm going back to the atheists again, uh, but I have to really speak into the heart of this because I've been there. I've been there. There are many people who they lost their faith in God because a prayer request wasn't answered. There are many people who lost their faith in God because they prayed for something and they didn't get it. So if God is real, then why wouldn't God allow this? This is a good thing. It's funny because not all good things are God things. But there are those of us right now who the reason why is because we've experienced hurt from people who were images of God, but not God. We carry the Ark of the Covenant. Right? We carry the Ark of the Covenant, but we didn't have the presence. We 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 walked around with the Ark, and when we went into a battle, if it was sickness or disease, we went and we manipulated the presence and we're not understanding that God was never intended to be a butler. We wanted God to just answer the prayer that we had. Why didn't God heal my mother? Why didn't God heal my mother? There's somebody praying that. There's there's someone who's lost faith because of that. Like, well, I prayed to God for him to heal my mother. And he didn't. So God can't be real. Because if God was real, I would have had that victory. If God God was real, he would have answered that prayer. And so God is a fairy tale. He's not real. And all these other people who call themselves Christians, I see the fakeness in you guys. I see, I see the fakeness in all of you. I see it. I see it. Why? Because you have done exactly what Phineas and Hophni, you have done exactly what we see here in the story when it comes to Hophni and Phineas. We see two religious guys who are still sinful. Two religious guys who were sinful who thought all they can do is carry the image of the presence of God and thought that was good enough. And in the end, we see defeat because they did not know God. (laughs) Now, those of us, that's exactly what you observed. You observed people who carried God around everywhere, carried around the Ark of the Covenant, images of God and carrying it around. And then afterwards you saw that there was defeat. And now you're wondering, well, if God was there, if God was real, then why would he let his children be defeated? And I believed in God. I believed in God for my breakthrough. I believed in God. I prayed and I believed God would heal my mom. And he didn't. And she passed. So God is not real. Because why? My prayer wasn't answered. 
God never wanted to be the answer to just your prayers. He wanted to be the answer to your life. He didn't want to simply be the person that you call on when you're going through something, but he wants to be the person that you know and have relationship with. The reality is that God heals and he still heals today, that God delivers and he still delivers today, and that God does miraculous things. And yes, I have seen it. I have seen God move miraculously, but I'll tell you something right now. What profits a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? What does it mean for your leg to be healed but for your soul to be lost? God takes precedence in you knowing him. And this is salvation that they know God. I've seen God heal every day. I've seen God, I see God heal all the time. <laughs> but that's not what matters because you didn't see it. And if you didn't see it, it doesn't matter for me to say that I've seen it. That's just word. We call that hearsay. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. That's why I don't really speak too much about that. Because here's the reality. We want the breakthrough of God, but we don't want the presence of God. That is the manipulation of the presence. When will we have the heart of Job? And we're going to get there. To say, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. God, you are good enough. Because at the end of the day, I need you. You've lost your mother, and yet you're still broken. You've lost your mother, and yet you're still hurting. You lost your mother, and yet you are angry. I just see somebody. I see, I see a man who's lost his mother, and he's looking for different ways to satisfy the pain. It's a lot of anger. And that anger, after a while, becomes fatiguing. So the way that you satisfy the fatigue is you drink. You have to drink. You have to drink. Because that's the only way you can calm your nerves. You feel a vibration all through your body because you are so angry. Every part of you wants to hate God. So yeah, you want to turn the button off. Because it's easy to just hate God and make that the answer. And it's easy to blame God. But do you understand as well? I'm sorry if I, this is just love speaking here. This is just love speaking. But do you understand how, and I know sometimes love's going to hurt a little bit, but do you understand how prideful that is? That you hate someone that you didn't know. I just hear, you know, the Lord saying, you never knew me. Of course you hate me. You hate somebody you don't know. You, you, you're angry with somebody that you, that didn't do for you, but you would never do for him. Hmm. And yet we're angry.
Atheism is not the religion of nothing, it's the religion of self. And for many of us, we think that's what makes us better, not realizing it makes us angrier. Lord, I pray that you would heal the heart of every man right now. Who's confronting with anger and loss. Lord, I just pray in this moment, Lord, that you would bring revelation. Lord, that you would just attune their heart once more. Attune their heart to you. I want to say this. I don't offer you religion. Um, I don't offer you what you grew up with at church because what you grew up with at church may not have been faith. What you grew up on church is culture, politics, institution, and they put a little Bible on it. That's what you might have grown up with. But can you come before God and say, Lord, I just want you. Forget all this stuff. Just you. Just you. He doesn't care about any of that. He wants to know you. And he he knows you. He wants you to know him. <laughs> I don't offer religion to you, but I offer you an opportunity to revisit your thought process and to repent. You're not repenting for your sins, to repent from your thinking, to want simply the manipulated presence of God in your life. Because here's the reality. If he healed your mom, you still would not have known him. You'd have been happy for yourself, but the God who loved you so much would have never known you. God doesn't choose in that way. He loves you. And he loves your mom. And he wants you to know that you don't know. And you won't know. But one day you will know. And in that day, it will make sense. It may never make sense. The Christian faith is not a religion. It's not going to church on Sunday. It's not listening to a pastor tell you what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. It's a relationship with God. So I invite you just to simply give God a chance, not religion. Not try to be the best person you can be. Trying to be the best person you can be on your own is religion. And it always comes with defeat. Religion always comes with defeat. Hophni and Phineas came with the Ark of God. And they went into a battle with the presence of God. And they lost because they thought all they needed was the presence. But what they needed was to be in the presence. Stop manipulating the presence of God. Unfortunately, 
the story of, of Eli ends horribly here because Eli finds out that his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have died. That the Ark of God was taken by the Philistines. And so he fell and he broke his neck. Just a horrible way to die. And then Phineas's wife has a son named Ichabod. And the son named Ichabod, she names her, and the son she named Ichabod because she wanted his name to represent the current state of the children of Israel. That the glory has departed from Israel. The glory has departed from Israel. I'm going to leave you in this tension. Because while the glory departed, do you see that in the ashes is coming the birth of a prophet? And in 1 Samuel chapter 5, we're going to now see the birth of a prophet who would usher in a king. And we will see the victory of the children of Israel that are to come. But in this moment, right now, the children of Israel are learning something. It's not enough to have the presence. We need to be in the presence. So seek his face. Father, I thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. I pray that you would give us the conviction, Lord, to seek your face. Father, I pray that you remove every pillar of religion in our lives. Every pillar of religious thinking. Lord, to be set free from all of that. Lord, to just simply seek your face. Father, I ask right now, Lord, for those who are here, who religion has left them jaded, who religion has left them disenchanted, who religion has left them dissatisfied. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the emptiness that is inside, that it will be filled with your spirit. I pray that you would revisit once more. I pray that you would pour out your spirit 